0: Hey, this is John Pennington, and you have arrived at the Big Bang Bible podcast, and this episode is episode 104, and it says, uh, why was the priesthood restricted? Now, listen, I'm in a church right now, Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, and women currently don't hold the priesthood, and there are many other churches around the world where women don't hold the priesthood. And also in our history, we had certain people that had different lineages that couldn't hold the priesthood. And that's why I put this one together. It's a little bit long, but it's for those people who really, really love to dive into stuff like this. And it's entitled, Why Was the Priesthood Restricted? I think you're gonna really like it, thanks. Do you have difficulty bringing science and religion together? Do you need analytics and logical fact patterns to organize the scriptures? Do you have a science professor who's trying to drive a wedge between you and your belief in God? On this show, we are on a voyage to merge, unite, and consolidate the gospel with new discoveries in statistics, evolution, the Big Bang Theory, and the Bible. Join me and follow along to answer these questions with a drop of my Latter-day Saint perspective. Welcome to the Big Bang Bible Podcast with me as your host, John S. Pennington Jr. The question today is, we're going to talk about the priesthood, and it's a God's priesthood was restricted with a question mark. Okay, so the best way for me to explain this is just start with a story. I'm going to talk to you about the priesthood and the regarding restrictions for women and other male members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints before the year 1978. Basically, a few years ago, a friend named Bill, who is not a member of my church, uh, one day comes to me and says, how can you believe in a God that would discriminate his priesthood? And my question back to him was, what do you you mean when you say discriminate? He said, well, before 1978, your church had discrimination policy when it came to the priesthood. And currently, your church does not allow women to hold the priesthood. Well, I told him that I like to use the word restriction as opposed to discriminate, And I asked him if I could explain it to him. He he replied, yeah. Can you explain to me why your church discriminated before 1978? I told Bill, I said, Bill, I thought I could answer the question. And I said, but it's a long answer. And you're going to have to give me some time to build up for the basis for the subject in order uh, for him to understand a complete answer when we get to it. I then said, Bill, do you realize that when Joseph Smith was alive, that there was no restriction on the priesthood? There were men of all nationalities, Germans, Scottish, Irish, American Indians, African-Americans that received the priesthood before Joseph Smith was killed. In fact, the first African-American man in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to receive the priesthood was in the year 1836. Now, Bill, my friend Bill paused for a moment because he had not realized this little known fact. I then continued and said, before the year 1847, there was no restriction at all. Well, except for women it did not matter what nationality or bloodline you had. If you were worthy, you could receive the priesthood. However, the priesthood was restricted from approximately the year 1848 up until the year 1978. So what you're really asking me is about the restriction for about 130 years. And you're saying you will not believe in a God or you can't believe in a God that would ever restrict his priesthood based upon gender or someone's bloodline or lineage. Bill said, well, yeah, you know, I guess that's basically what I'm asking. I replied, okay, this is a long answer, so I need to discuss some stories in the Bible so we can fully understand it. Thus, when we get to the conclusion, both of us will have enough knowledge to truly understand it. Bill said, sure, you know, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, so about 2,000 years BC, there was a man whose name was Melchizedek. Now, Bill, do you understand the difference between the Aaronic Priesthood and the Melchizedek Priesthood? And he said they didn't understand much about either one of those priesthoods. So I asked him if he knew how to spell the word Melchizedek. So he tried a couple times and failed to spell it. I told him that it probably doesn't matter because uh, uh, back then they just probably called him, uh, you know, Mel, (laughs) but as short. Anyway, Melchizedek was in the Bible. And uh, in in the Bible, it's spelled two different ways. So really, either way you tried to spell it, you could probably get it right. Uh, So Melchizedek was a man in the priesthood of God and lived in a place called Salem. Now, the city of Salem is very important. So remember it, and we'll come back to it in our discussion today. And there was another man that lived back at the same time. His name was Abraham, uh, who later had his name changed by God to Abraham. So this Abraham paid his tithes to Melchizedek and got his priesthood from Melchizedek. Abraham did not get his priesthood from his father because I believe his dad was uh, a drunk and uh, did not follow the commandments of God. And actually, tried to sacrifice Abraham to the gods of Egypt. <laughs> now, as you can imagine, this probably puts some animosity between Abraham and his father, you think? I mean, <laughs> I mean, if your dad's lifelong dream is to burn your body on some Egyptian altar, you probably want to find a good realtor to help you relocate in a quick period of time. Okay, it's kind of funny, but it probably, it probably wasn't funny to Abraham. Anyway, Abraham eventually received the priesthood from Melchizedek, and later Abraham has a son through his first wife named Sarah. This son came through Sarah, and his name was Isaac. And then Isaac had a son, and his son was named Jacob. So the chronological order is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which in bloodline is the grandfather is Abraham, the father is Isaac, and the son is Jacob. Then a messenger from God changed Jacob's name to Israel, Israel. In the Bible, it says that Jacob was wrestling with this man. and This man blessed Jacob and changed Jacob's name to Israel. Now, if you read the story in full, most scholars believe uh, that um, this man they talk about was wrestling, was a messenger from God or an angel from God. Because when the story is all over, Jacob says that he has seen God face to face he realized that this wasn't just a man, but an angel of the Lord. Now, when I first read this story about Jacob wrestling with an angel, I thought Jacob was wrestling in his mind or in some kind of a dream. But then it says in the Bible that he was wrestling so hard that his hip thigh or hip got thrown out of joint. And then I knew he was physically wrestling with this angel. It also says that Jacob would not let the angel go until the angel blessed him. Now, the angel eventually says, okay, you know, fine, I'll give you a blessing. And the angel changed Jacob's name to Israel. And from that time forth, Jacob was known as Israel. Uh, Jacob and Israel are just two different names for the same guy. Therefore, the lineage is Abraham, then Isaac, then Israel, who is Jacob. Now, Jacob has 12 sons, and each of those 12 sons had a lot of children. Each had so many children that each son's family became a tribe or a tribe of Israel. One of the sons that we are going to focus on today for this discussion is named Levi, who became the tribe of the Levites. Another son, who's named Judah, and his tribe became the tribe of the Jews or the tribe of Judah. Also, another son we're going to focus on today is named Joseph, which had two sons that we'll talk about a little bit later. Okay, so there, there are these 12 sons of Israel, and each son became a tribe. That's where we get the term 12 tribes of Israel. Now, what most people don't know is that Israel had one daughter named Dinah. And one of the sons, Levi, killed a man named Shechem because he was, Levi was trying to defend Dinah's honor. This is all written down in Genesis chapter 34. Now, Levi does indeed kill this man named Shechem and also a number of his brethren. Because he did this, it caused Israel, who was Levi's father, to become very angry with him. Israel basically says to Levi, what have you done? You have killed Shechem and his brother, and now all the people all around us are going to come and destroy us. Our family isn't big enough to defend ourselves, and we're going to be a hunted people. Because of this brass action, Levi loses his inheritance, and he does not get a 12th part of Israel's possession when Israel dies. In fact, when Israel gives his blessing to Levi in Genesis chapter 49, Israel says to Levi that because you killed Shechem and his brother many years ago, you're not going to receive your inheritance. And your inheritance is going to be divided among Israel, meaning the other tribes of Israel will get Levi's inheritance. So Levi, through his own actions, loses his inheritance for himself and thus his Levites, his tribe of the Levites. Okay, so usually in big families, there's always a rebel child and there's always a prized child. Since we've talked about the rebel child, now we're going to talk about the prized one. The prized son is named Joseph, and he has a very interesting story, which everyone knows. This is the same boy who had a coat of many colors and he was sold into Egypt as a slave. He was thrown into prison, interpreted some dreams, and became second in command to Pharaoh. Joseph is the one who helped Pharaoh store all of the food and grain so when they had a seven-year famine, the people from all around the world would come to Egypt to buy food. Now, the tribes of Israel, along with Jacob, aka Israel, moved to Egypt and are placed under the protection of Joseph, who is second in command, only the Pharaoh. So all the Israel Is moves into Egypt mainly because Joseph's got a lot of food and everyone's real hungry. Okay. Uh, So Joseph gets married and has two sons, and one is named Manasseh, and the other is named Ephraim. Therefore, when Israel, who is Jacob, is about to die on his deathbed, he's giving out the blessings to his 12 sons. In contrast of Levi getting no blessing, when the blessing comes to Joseph, he really doesn't give Joseph a blessing. But he says, you know, bring me your two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Israel says, I'm going to make your two sons just as my own. I'm going to give them my blessing and make Joseph's lineage an extra part in the inheritance of Israel. So Manasseh and Ephraim come to Israel on his deathbed. Then Israel crosses his hands and he puts the right hand on the younger of the two sons and the left hand on the older. Then Joseph says, hold on, dad, 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 you're doing it wrong. You have your right hand on the younger son. Now, the old man who's about to die tells Joseph that he knows exactly what he's doing and to leave him alone and let him continue. So Israel says to the two grandsons, from this day forth, you will be tribes of Israel and each to receive a 12th part of Israel. Now, this is why you never hear of the tribe of Joseph. Well, except one time in the book of Revelation. Instead, There is a tribe called Manasseh and another tribe called Ephraim. They received an extra portion going towards Joseph's posterity. Therefore, Joseph received an extra part of the inheritance by having his lineage have two tribes rather than just have one tribe of Joseph. Again, Bill, we're still focusing on the tribe of Levi, who are the Levites, the tribe of Judah, who are the Jews or the Jewish people, and we are focusing on the sons of Joseph, who are the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. So after Israel moves into Egypt with Joseph, many years pass away, and Israel and his sons, original sons, they, you know, they all die. All the tribes of Israel living in Egypt, having a great time, eating and basking in the uh, popularity of their Joseph ancestor. But then it says in the Bible that there was a Pharaoh who rose up who knew not Joseph. Now, this happened years later. And, you know, the Pharaoh basically said, look, I, I don't know who this Joseph character is, but one thing I do know is that all the Hebrews, the tribes of Israel, are going to be my slaves. And from that time forth, the tribes of Israel are made slaves. Now, this continue, this slavery continues on for centuries. Um, they're in slavery for a long time. Then there was a man named Moses. And I, I like to say it like that, Moses. I don't know, it just sounds better. Who was born in the tribe of the Levites, or a descendant of Levi. Moses, through the power of God, leads the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt into the wilderness. But before he does this great work by freeing the Israelites from slavery, Moses flees the land of Egypt because he killed a man and was afraid that what would happen when the Egyptian officials found out. So Moses goes out in the wilderness and meets a man named Jethro, and Moses eventually marries one of the daughters of Jethro. But meanwhile, Moses is talking to Jethro and realizes that Jethro has the priesthood of God. So Moses inquires as to where, you know, Jethro got the priesthood. What a lot of people don't know is that Abraham had two wives. His first wife is named Sarah, and his second wife was named Keturah. And Keturah had a son named Midian. He was a priest of Midian and was a Midianite. Moses, therefore, receives his priesthood from Jethro and traces that priesthood directly back to Abraham as well as Melchizedek. Finally, after you know, many years of being away, Moses goes back to Egypt with the priesthood and leads the children of Israel out of slavery. All the tribes go out into the wilderness, and Moses climbs to the mountain, receives the commandments from God, the Big Ten Commandments. And after 40 days, Moses comes down off the mountain carrying the Big tin, and sees the children of Israel have melted down their gold and constructed this golden calf that they could pray to. So Moses goes into this real rage and throws the tablets at the golden calf and destroys it. Well, he's successful in destroying the calf, but in, by doing so, the tablets crumble into pieces. At this point, Moses says to all the children of Israel, all the 12 tribes, who still believes that I am a prophet of God? please take one step forward. The only people who step forward are the Levites. Remember, Moses is a Levite. The tribe of Levi steps forward, confirming that they still believe Moses is a prophet of God. Moses says, listen, because you've done this, you're going to have some very special privileges that no one else is going to have. Now, what makes this story very interesting is that the Levites were not even counted as they came out of Egypt. When you read through the book of Numbers in the Bible and you see that everything, including every person, was counted as they left Egypt, and it is astonishing how much time and effort they went through to count everything, everything that is except the Levites. The book of Numbers counts the record of everyone in the tribe of Reuben, everyone in the tribe of Simeon, everyone in the tribe of Ishkar, everyone in the tribe of Judah, and so on but they make no mention of anyone from the tribe of Levi. They even count the animals and so on. But the book of Numbers makes no mention on the number of Levite families. The Levites become the uncounted tribe as if they don't even exist. However, out in the wilderness, they get special blessings. It says in the book of Numbers chapter 8 that there was an atonement made for the Levites. The writer of the book of Numbers used the word atonement and the Levites from this time forward received an Aaronic priesthood. Now, the reason they chose the word Aaronic is because Moses had an older brother named Aaron and Aaron became the head of the Aaronic priesthood. Moses was the younger brother while Aaron was the older brother. The point here is that both brothers, Moses and Aaron, are both from the tribe of Levi and therefore are Levites. This is an important distinction for our discussion on restriction of the priesthood. Aaron becomes the head of the priesthood, and the Levites build a tabernacle in the desert. The tabernacle is basically a precursor to the temple of Solomon. Only the tabernacle is made of cloth, while the temple is made of stone. God commands Moses to build this tabernacle for the purposes of housing the Ark of the Covenant, and as a place where sacrifices to the Lord can be performed. Inside the Ark of the Covenant were the crushed pieces from the tablets from the Big Ten, a bowl of manna, and the staff of Aaron. Now, this staff is most famously notable for striking a rock and causing water to spring forth from that rock. Manna was an eatable food source that fell from the midst of the sky at night and was available for gathering in the early morning before the sunshine came upon it. An Israelite would collect this manna, which would allow them to make bread the manna each day was truly a blessing from God because there were a lot of hungry people out in the desert and uh, they needed food. The Bible indicates that on the sixth day of the week, a person had to collect a double portion of manna so that he or she could have food on the seventh day of the week. Because the seventh day, the manna would not fall from heaven. And thus the seventh day being Saturday, they could not do any work. The Sabbath at that time was on the Saturday. And still today, the Jewish religion celebrates the Sabbath on Saturday. Christians have adopted Sunday, which is the first day of the week, as their Sabbath, uh, mainly because Jesus Christ was resurrected on the first day of the week, and they celebrate that life and resurrection on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. The Israelites placed a bowl of manna, the crushed tablet, and the staff of Aaron inside the Ark of the Covenant. Then the Levites who were the only ones who could hold the priesthood, built a tent tabernacle to house the Ark of the Covenant. This Ark was made famous in one of the Hollywood movies called Raiders of the Lost Ark, or Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Anyway, this Ark was placed in the Holy of Holies of the Tabernacle. Now, the Tabernacle has a lot of interesting stories, which we're going to talk about later today. While the Israelites are out in the desert, a lot of miraculous things happened as they follow Moses. I then asked Bill, if he'd ever been to his doctor's office and noticed on the wall or in some insignia of a, of a pole or a staff with a snake wrapped around it. And a lot of doctors wear little lapel pins with a snake wrapped around a pole. Now, the first time I ever saw this at my doctor's office, I said, "What is going on here? Why is there a, a pole with a snake wrapped around it on my doctor's door?" you know?" Uh, but later I found out this comes all the way back to the Old Testament and the time of Moses. This is a symbol of healing because of what Moses did in the desert. Now, the children of Israel were all in the desert and they were getting bit by venomous snakes. To solve the problem, Moses constructs a staff or a bronze stick with a bronze snake wrapped around it. He took this staff and stuck it in the ground outside the village and he told the children of Israel, if you get bit by a snake, all you have to do is walk outside the village and look upon this bronze snake twisted around this this staff. And the funny thing is, they wouldn't do it. It was too simple. All you had to do was walk out, look on this staff, and you'd be healed. But it, it took faith, and faith sometimes is so simple, and a lot of people wouldn't do it. I then said to Bill, you know, it, that would take a lot of faith for anyone. What What if you got bit by a snake right now, and I told you, yeah, just walk down the street, look on the, this flagpole down the street, and you'll be healed. What would you think? You <laughs> You, you would think I was crazy and you would get in the car and you would drive to the hospital as fast as you possibly could. But all that took was pure faith. And I think that's what Moses did way back then. And this, seal, this, this symbol has lasted for thousands of years and is now the symbol of doctors and hospitals. And that's how he came to that symbol. Moses, through the power of God, made a lot of unusual things happen. The tabernacle was an oddity in itself. The tabernacle at night had a ball of fire or a a light ball that hovered over the tabernacle directly over it at night. So when anyone came out of their tent at night and looked toward the tabernacle, you would see this fiery ball hovering over the center of the tabernacle. And this would give you an understanding that God is with you and that you would uh, look to the tabernacle for light and enlightenment. Each night that you looked and you knew that God was with you. Now in the daytime, there was a cloud that hovered over the center of the tabernacle. And when the cloud started to move, guess what happened? The Levites, who were the only tribe allowed to touch and move the tabernacle, would collapse it, and they would walk and walk and walk and follow the cloud until the cloud stopped. And then guess what they would do? They would construct the tabernacle underneath the cloud. Now, I got to tell you, while I was telling this to my friend Bill, Bill stopped me and he said, are you making all this stuff up? <laughs> and I said, No. No, I'm not making. It's all in the Bible. I promise, Bill. Just trust me. It's, I'll, I'll give you the references later. It's all there. But I'm not making this stuff up. It's all there in the Old Testament. So, <laughs> anyway, Aaron's sons and grandsons were the only ones who were allowed to officiate inside the temple. Thus, they were the only ones who could hold the office of a priest. The key here is that you had to be a Levite. You had to have a direct bloodline back to Levi. In order to be a priest inside the Levite tribe, you had to be a direct descendant of Aaron, who was the older brother of Moses. Now, this is where we get the term Levitical priesthood and the term Aaronic priesthood. All of Aaronic priesthood holders are Levites, but not all Levites are descendants of Aaron. Okay, so this for 40 years, this tabernacle and the children of Israel walked and wandered around the, uh, the desert following the cloud. The point I'm making here is that in the day of Moses, if you were from the tribe of Judah and wanted to make a sacrifice at the tabernacle, you could not do it for yourself. If you were of the tribe of Dan or the tribe of Reuben or the tribe of Manasseh and any, or any other tribe except the tribe of Levi, you could not make the sacrifice yourself. You needed a Levite or even better, a son or descendant of Aaron, who was a priest, to assist you in the sacrifice. They were the only ones responsible for sacrifices and the only people allowed to use and hold the priesthood. Therefore, if you were a Jew, you could not hold the priesthood because of who your father was and because of your bloodline. You would have to make or take an unblemished dove or lamb to the tabernacle and give it to a priest. The priest would then make the sacrifice for and in behalf of you. Therefore, these Levites are tabernacle workers doing work for and behalf of other people. Okay, so the timeline for Moses and Aaron is about 1400 BC, and the priest of Aaron has specific things they had to wear to go inside the tabernacle. It says in Exodus uh, chapter 28, verse 42, and also in Ezekiel forty-four, sixteen, that they could not wear anything That was made of wool or made them sweat. They had to wear linen. In one line of the verses, it says that they had to wear linen breeches that reached down to their thigh. Before a tabernacle worker could go inside the tabernacle, they first had to have the priesthood and wear linen breeches that reached down to their thigh. The priests of Aaron had to wear special bonnets on their heads with certain colors. Now, this is all outlined in the book of Exodus. These tabernacle workers had specific clothing they had to wear, enabling them to operate and exercise their priesthood inside the tabernacle. Without these special garments, the tabernacle workers were unable to do their tabernacle duties. The point is that the sons of Aaron are the priests and the Levites are the priesthood holders who can work in and around the tabernacle. The other 12 tribes could not do this because of their bloodlines and their heritage. In other words, they were restricted from holding the priesthood because of who their father was or which bloodline they came from. Now, this was all taking place approximately 1,400 years before Christ. Now, let's fast forward to 1,000 years before Christ or 1,000 BC. This was a time when a famous man lived named David. He's the little boy who killed Goliath with a stone sling. Uh, Well, David eventually becomes the king of Israel, And he has a plan. He says, you know what? We should not have the house of God in a tent tabernacle, but we should have the house of God in a stone temple. But the Lord does not let David build this temple. The task is left to his son Solomon to build it. King Solomon is the one who ends up building the stone temple. And that's where we get the term Solomon's temple. However, David is allowed to gather all the materials to build the stone temple. Now, Bill, I have a question for you. When King David was a young man, he had the power of God. David killed Goliath. He used the prophets and their counsel to conquer the Philistines. He was definitely blessed and loved by God. David is the king of Israel, but he cannot go inside the tabernacle because he is a descendant from Judah or the tribe of Judah. He's not a Levite and cannot hold the priesthood. So, Bill, I ask you this question Can you tell me at this point in time? 1000 BC, why David, who was the king of Israel, could not hold the priesthood. He is the king, he's Jewish, God loves him very much, but why is he restricted from holding the priesthood? Can you tell me why? And I sat there and waited for an answer. Bill didn't respond. I then asked Bill if he could tell me why King David could not even walk inside the tabernacle. My friend Bill just kind of looked there and shook his head. And he said, I I, I don't know. At this point, our conversation changed. Bill had been antagonistic all along. And here, we were starting to realize that the Old Testament had many truths that he had never considered. He had never considered in context the surrounding who could hold and could not hold the priesthood. My statement to him was this when you can tell me why a good Jewish boy named David could not hold the priesthood and go inside the tabernacle in the proximal of the year 1000 BC, then I can tell you why certain men could not hold the priesthood for 130 years prior to 1978 and why women can't hold the priesthood today. Bill paused for a moment because I said to him, you told me earlier that you could never believe in a God that would restrict his priesthood based on bloodline. You said you could never believe in a God who would do something like that based on lineage or who the person's father or grandfather was. Well, Bill, I've just shown you that this did happen in the Old Testament. And the most perplexing thing about the whole story, on the restriction, that it came directly from God through his prophet Moses. So what you're saying is to me, you will not believe Moses, or better yet, you will not believe the God of the Old Testament. Now think about this. In 1,400-year period of time, do you ever think there was ever a young man that was, let's say, 18 years old, let's say he was from the tribe of Dan or maybe even from the tribe of Judah, that prayed to God and said, Father in heaven, I'm a good Jewish boy. I have a cousin over here who's a Levite. I pay my tithes. I keep all the commandments. I'm just as good as my cousin. Why cannot I go inside the temple and hold a priesthood? I'm just as good as my cousin who's a Levite. The only difference is, my great-great-great-grandfather was Judah, and his great-great-grandfather was Aaron. Father in heaven, just because my cousin has a different great-grandfather than I have, why does that alone qualify him to enter in the temple and leaves me outside the priesthood? Bill, do you ever think that prayer ever happened? Because I'm sure he said to Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, that doesn't seem very fair. It was a 1,400 years length of time that the priesthood was restricted to all the other 12 tribes. The priesthood became restricted to the 12 tribes as soon as they had a tabernacle. Before there was a tabernacle, there was no restriction to the priesthood. In modern times, and I'm not sure exactly why, but the priesthood became restricted again at around the time the Navu Temple was completed. Both restrictions in both time periods all started about the time that people had a temple or a tabernacle and they started to wear special temple or tabernacle clothing. One restriction lasted 1400 years, and the other lasted 130 years. Now, these two stories parallel a group of people that are trying to follow the God of Israel. One group had a new tabernacle ordinance in the year 1400 BC, and the other group had a new temple ordinance in the year 1845 AD. Okay, another parallel is when King Solomon built the temple out of stone, they asked King Solomon they said uh, why are you going to build this temple out of stone and the rumor has it that he said um, well the, the first two temples the one built out of sticks and the one built out of straw were all blown over by a big bad wolf <laughs> what no look what look at this kid in the first row he can't stop laughing look I, I didn't say it was doctrinal fact I'm just saying it was a rumor Now, I'm look <laughs> I was just trying to see if you guys were still paying attention that's all I'm trying to do And it looks like you were, because you laughed. Very, very, very well. Anyway, the parallel here is that King Solomon built his temple next to a sea of salt. He built his temple in a place called Jerusalem. The city was once called Salem. That's where Melchizedek lived. But now it's called Jerusalem. It took David about 33 years to gather all the materials. And then once Solomon was king, it took him approximately... Seven solar years to assemble the temple and build the temple. Thus, 40 years to build it from start to finish. Just like King Solomon, Brigham Young built the temple of stone close to a sea of salt. King Solomon fulfilled King David's dream of a stone temple, and Brigham Young did the same thing for Joseph Smith's vision. Brigham Young built a temple, and it took him about 40 years to assemble. King Solomon's temple took about 40 years to assemble also. Another parallel to these two stories is that when Moses was in the wilderness, the children of Israel needed some meat. They were hungry. They were tired of eating manna. And so the Bible says that Moses prayed to solve the problem, and a flock of quail flew in over the mountains into the valley. The quail were so exhausted when they fell upon the ground that the Israelites could pick them up and have a big feast. The Bible says that in some places, the quail were stacked up two cubits high. This likewise happened when Brigham Young was forced to travel west outside of the United States. The second wagon train that left with Brigham Young was leaving the camp and they came upon a river and stopped because they were starving to death. They felt they could not go on in their hungered state. Their journals tell us that on three separate occasions, flocks of quail flew into the camp and were so exhausted that children could walk around and pick them up. These quail were like manna from God and kept them from starving in the wilderness. There's only two places in history that I've ever heard of this happening. The first time is when Moses, with his exodus from Egypt on the children of Israel. The second is in the time Brigham Young, when his people were making their exodus from the United States because of religious persecution. It just might be a coincidence, but the only two recorded restrictions of the priesthood both coincide with the building of a new temple or a new tabernacle. As soon as Moses had a tabernacle, the priesthood was restricted. Before that, There was not a restriction, and any tribe could hold the priesthood. Conversely, before the Nauvoo Temple is completed, all worthy male members from any country or any bloodline could hold the priesthood if they were baptized member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. However, as the Nauvoo Temple is nearing completion in the year 1845, it appears that the priesthood once again became restricted, and Brigham Young made the restriction official in the year 1848. Now, this restriction lasted until the year 1978. Both restrictions began with a new dispensation, and both began with the construction of a, a tabernacle and a temple. They also began with the wearing of special clothing, and both new dispensations began with a new prophet who talks with God bringing forth new scripture. And by the way, each of these new prophets were assisted by their older brother. Now, at this point the conversation with Bill was going very well. We had both been educated and intrigued by the stories of the Old Testament. His mind was a little bit more open to the possibility that God does work in very different ways than that which we think he ought to. Bill was considering the possibility that God could at some times restrict his holy priesthood. The restriction could have been implemented for some greater reason that we humans can't really grasp and therefore is not explained to us in detail. Now, there's just a few more things we need to say before I finish my words on the priesthood. King David had a son named Solomon. And Solomon had a son, and he had a son, and he had a son, and he had a son, all down for about a 1,000 years. Finally, there was a son named Joseph. Now, King David had a second son. Well, King David had a lot of sons, but he had a second son named Nathan. And Nathan had a son who had a son who had a son who had a son down a 1,000 years. And they finally had a daughter named Mary. These two, Mary and Joseph, were engaged to be married and both had direct bloodlines back to King David. Therefore, when the scriptures say that Jesus was the king of the Jews, they might be more correct than a casual wording or phrase. Because King David himself was a Jew, King Solomon was from the tribe of Judah, and both Mary and Joseph had direct royal lines back to King David. Therefore, If the land of Israel and Jerusalem had not been conquered by the Roman Empire at the time of 1 BC, then Jesus might actually have been the king of the Jews. Now still, all this time, from 1400 BC until the time of Christ, there was only one tribe that could hold the priesthood, and that was the tribe of Levi. In order to be a priest, you had to be a descendant of Aaron, who was a Levite. Therefore, when John the Baptist baptized Jesus he would have had to have been performing that ordinance under the priesthood, right? Well, John the Baptist would have had to have the priesthood. So the question is, who is John and how do we know that he had the priesthood? John is the same resurrected person who is responsible for giving Joseph Smith his Aaronic priesthood. Now, the question is, how do we know that John the Baptist had the priesthood? Here's a clue to your answer. Do you remember how John the Baptist received his name when he was a baby? His father Zacharias was inside the temple when the angel Gabriel came to him and said, "Name your son John." Now wait a minute, wait a minute. did you catch that? Zacharias was inside the temple. For Zacharias to be inside the temple, he would have had to been a Levite and probably a direct descendant of Aaron. Otherwise, Zacharias would have not been allowed inside the temple to perform the holy ordinances. John, therefore, was a Levite and a cousin of Jesus, and thus John would be in the right tribe to have the priesthood. This this all makes perfect sense once you understand the restriction of the priesthood to the twelve tribes. The gospel all fits together once you have the big picture. The most logical person to give Joseph Smith the Aaronic Priesthood would be John the Baptist. That would be a direct line of the priesthood. And I said to Bill, at this point, this reminds me of a, of, of a scripture in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11. Now, if we would have read this scripture before we began our discussion, we wouldn't even not have the knowledge to understand it. But now that we've studied the history of the priesthood, we both have the understanding to comprehend the scripture in greater depth. So let's read the scripture. It's in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11 through 14. And it says, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, What further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made a necessity, a change also in the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ is from Judah, not Levi. But we know that Jesus had the Melchizedek priesthood and was a priest. Therefore, the law had to have been changed. Now other tribes have the priesthood, and therefore the law is changed. Jesus changed it, and his apostles baptized with the priesthood, and they were not all from the tribe of Levi. Peter, James, and John got their Melchizedek priesthood from Jesus, who was from Judah, the tribe of Jews. Joseph Smith received the Melchizedek priesthood from the resurrected Peter, James, and John. So there's another story that you will understand even more in depth that now you understand what a priesthood is and a Levite is. But I need to explain something about Samaritans so you can understand the parable of the Good Samaritan. In approximately 600 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar raided Israel and took captains back to Babylon. He took them all back to Babylon. However, there was a small band of Israelites around the city of Samaria who managed to escape the enslavement. During this time, the Israelites in Samaria intermarried with non-Israelite spouses, and therefore they crossed their bloodline and polluted their bloodline. Years later, when Cyrus the Great of Persia conquered Babylon, he freed the Israelites and let them return to Jerusalem. This enslavement happened about, you know, it lasted about 79 years, but the damage was already done. From then on, the Jews began labeling the Samaritans as being unclean half-breeds because of their mixed bloodline. So in the parable of the Good Samaritan, it says that there was a man lying on the side of the road. He was robbed and half dead. And a priest then walks by, sees the man and does not help him. Then a Levite walks by, And also sees the man and doesn't help the wounded man. But finally, a Samaritan walks by and stops and helps a man. The priest has a pedigree chart going back 1400 years. And the Levite has a bloodline that other men wish they had. But the Samaritan, he's a half-breed. And has a convoluted bloodline. And is dirty in the sights and eyes of the Levites and the priests and the Jews. Jesus is trying to make the point that the priest, with a perfect bloodline, And the Levite, with a perfect bloodline, can be blinded by their pedigree chart not to live the commandments of God. Thus, the Samaritan with the mixed bloodline was the only one of the three truly keeping the commandments of God. That is, to love thy neighbor as thyself. The priest and the Levite were depending upon their pedigree chart to get them to heaven, instead of living the commandments. In these last days before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ... We need to honor our priesthood and serve others just as Jesus Christ has taught us to do. So this, this was my point to my friend, Bill. I am not exactly sure why there was a 130-year restriction of the priesthood before 1978. And I'm not exactly sure why women cannot hold the priesthood today. I'm not exactly sure why the sons of Judah, the Jews, the sons of Joseph, and even the sons of Reuben and all the other tribes could not hold a priesthood. I'm not sure. But I do know that it did happen. It was restricted for some reason that God only understands. And when we try to encapsulate God and say, God would never do this or God would never do that, I think it's a problem for anyone to ever say or dare say those words that God can't do this or that. Because usually I can find a story in the Old Testament where God did do something like that. If your reason for not wanting to believe and live the gospel of Jesus Christ is because there's restrictions restriction in the priesthood, then you need to study the Old Testament and come to an understanding that God works in very mysterious ways. You should never make the statement saying God can't do it that way or God would never do it that way because our tiny human brains have a difficult time comprehending the creator of the entire universe and what he will or won't do to the human race. Look, I want to say lastly at all, that Jesus Christ lives. His gospel has changed my life, has made me a better husband, a better father, a better Christian. I am so grateful that I was able to find the gospel on this earth because it has blessed my life, my children's life, and it has become to help me be more like Christ. I know that the priesthood of God is one of God's tools here upon the earth to help men reach their potential as children of God. The priesthood is for all men who want to take on the responsibility that goes with it. If you don't have the priesthood or you're not honoring your priesthood, I implore you to honor and sustain it because it is a quite rewarding thing to be a valuable member of God's team. If you follow the gospel's teachings, you will eventually be numbered with what is known in the Bible as the sons of God. The sons of God are the ones who honor and keep their priesthood, which is the priesthood of God it really, really has helped me understand Christ and his teachings by being a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Live and study the disciplines of the priesthood and witness your life and the lives of your family being drawn to the teachings of Jesus Christ, who is the savior of the world. I close this message in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Hi, this is John Pennington, the author, and this part is supplemental to chapter 4, Why was the priesthood restricted? In the last few years, the church has come out with a few statements about the restriction of the priesthood. No one is exactly sure why Brigham Young decided to restrict the priesthood in the year 1847, especially after Joe Smith had no restriction during his entire lifetime. In fact, no one really knows why Brigham replaced the restriction in the first place. It's not clear in the record why he did that. Therefore, I needed to add this supplemental portion to clarify the church's recent position. There are a few clarifications that the author would like to make. First, the Bible refers to Jacob's thigh being thrown out of joint, and the author assumed that it was referring to Jacob's hip. After further study, the author now believes the word thigh in the Bible is more correctly translated as the knee or knee area. Second, the author states that the children of Israel were captives in the land of Babylon for about 79 years. The actual time of captivity is probably closer to 70 years rather than 79 years. And thirdly, the audio of the audience was added for presentation and entertainment purposes only. For your future reference, this is entitled, Why Was the Priesthood Restricted?